Welcome back to Rude Dude. the Rude Dude Podcast. I am your host, Enrique de la Mer, with my partner, Camarón, my friend, my buddy, my guy, my pal. How are you, Cam? You know what, pal? I'm doing actually pretty good today, man. Pretty good. You know, the funny thing is, is that um, in Spanish, I think I've mentioned it on yes. this podcast. Yes. Yes. It, it means shrimp. It means shrimp. Yes. My my name means shrimp, dude. Um, I know the lobster and the shrimp. The lobster and the shrimp. And I mean, you're the little one. It honestly couldn't have been better than that, <laughs> dude. So I'm as I do. I'm in the shower thinking of how I'm going to introduce myself, right? And I'm like Enrique. That's what comes to my mind, Enrique. And then I actually looked up how to say of the ocean in spanish but i fucking forgot already so de la mer is actually french so we got a little spanish with a little french and then i was like camarón and i was like oh my god that's a fucking shrimp we got fucking cross crustaceans gone wild over here brother dude, dude crustaceans gone wild I, my new nickname is now just going to be the shrimp dude we're, we're gonna get rid of the cree and it, it's now the shrimp i i'm i'm actually thoroughly surprised that it's taken us this long to make right? that correlation that's awesome dude it's so funny so anytime i tell like a super um you know hispanic person my name they, they give me like a sly eye and they go oh, it, it adds up there you little limp dick <laughs> lob man the adventures of lob man and shrimp yeah that's it dude that's it awesome well as the listeners and you may tell i'm pretty fired up i'm excited about this podcast i'm excited about our guest podcast thursday and uh, we have an important announcement. We have broken 4,000 total plays. Yes, yes. Big time for us. Um, podcast keeps growing. Um, that may be minimal numbers compared to our to our prestigious guests that we're going to be coming in here. But for us, that's a big deal. This is episode 45. Uh, we are very excited about that. So thank you to all the listeners who have helped us cross that threshold, man. Yes, sir. Um, well, my friend... Do you have, without any further ado, should we bring in our guest? Yeah, let's do it, man. I am going to bring him in right now. So we'll go to the awkward part of the podcast where we go and wait for him now. What up? All what right. Up, what's up, dude? Our guest today. Am I in? You're in. Our guest today, Jeremy Miller, and he actually worked at a rehab that I attended. Um, and he does a lot for. Recovery, I've seen him throughout the years. Another guy that worked there, buddy of his and mine, Dallas, they do a lot of cool stuff together uh, ar around recovery. So I thought it'd be really cool to have you on. Welcome, man. Thanks for being here. Hey, thank you guys for having me, man. I, uh, I've i loved watching you throughout the years uh, since we uh, knew each other out here in California. And, uh, you know, I've checked out the, uh, the pod. I've done a couple episodes and... Uh, I love what you guys are up to, man. And uh, I'm glad that you guys started it. You know, a lot of people are like, 
oh, dude, like I want to do a podcast, but there's too many and there's so many already. And it's like, yeah, but none of them have you. You know what I mean? That's and right. so I'm, I'm glad you guys went for it, dude, because uh, I like what you're up to. Thanks, man. Well, it's funny. I, I thought you were going to say a lot of people talk about it and never do it, which we did talk about yeah. it for like two two fucking years <laughs> before we ever did it. But hey, uh, but here you are, man. We did it. Here we are. Yeah, yeah. I'm pumped. Yeah, dude. We got the receipts on that. I, I mean, it's a it's an ongoing like you know conversation. We got to start the podcast. I mean, we we got to do it. We got to do it. And I I mean, there really was no catalyst. Just one day, we were just like, dude let's fucking do it. And, 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 and here we are. Thanks yeah, for the man. kind, thanks for the kind words, man. I appreciate that. And I'm, uh, thanks for listening to the few episodes that you have, brother. I appreciate it. It's yeah. gotta be, it's gotta be super cool. And then I'll let him ask his first question. It's gotta be super cool to sit here and be like, Hey, I worked at a rehab and now I'm sitting here on this dude's podcast. Like that's oh, gotta be dope. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's probably one of my, my favorite things about the work that I've done and the work I do is, um, you know, it's a, it's up to us to pass the torch of recovery. You know, it's up to us to to f- fan the embers until they're flames. You know what I'm saying? And uh, you know, working in in the biz as long as I have, it's uh, it, it's a surreal feeling to see all these fires out here, man, and people just doing it. People, uh, you know, creating lives that once upon a time they didn't think were even remotely possible. You know, the wildest dreams weren't this good you know what i'm saying yep. and that shit fires yeah. me up dude oh yeah absolutely mm-hmm. yeah and it's funny in this age of social media we like you said you've been watching me over the years so i have so many people from you know i've been to rehab a few times <laughs> yeah from different rehabs and stuff where you know some of it doesn't work out very well and some of it you see them out there shining and doing it and it's a really like a beautiful fucking thing and yeah. it's really cool to keep up with them. And, you know, you, you get those those people that are just really out there doing it. And it's it's awesome to see. Hell yeah. Mm-hmm. So you have the unique perspective of someone who worked at a rehab that I attended. Do mm-hmm. you remember anything about me? So let, let me set the stage. Well, first of all, this this guy's on a fucking sweet ass deck out in Monterey. <laughs> it's beautiful. He's barely got to wear a long sleeve shirt. Yeah. Um, dude, he, he looks here. like he looks like he's ready to go eastbound and down, dude. He's yeah, like, that's he's that's what it feels like. That's <laughs> what it feels like. That headset, bro. <laughs> yeah, dude. Yeah, man. I uh, you know it's funny though because I, I sat out here thinking it'd be all nice out, and then as soon as we start, the sun started going down, and I'm like, oh fuck, dude, it's a little colder than I thought it would be. But hey, dude, we're gonna roll with it. You know what I mean? He's gonna be over there shivering by the end of the podcast. Yeah, man. But, it, keeps, um, it reminds us we're alive. You know. So the rehab where I met you, it was a pretty big one. Um, and there was a lot of counselors, a lot of, uh, a lot of clients. And so I don't think we personally spent a ton of time together. I know that like, I'm pretty sure you taught a couple classes or I forget exactly what you even did there. To be honest, it was like eight years ago. But do you have any memory of me and what I was like when I, when I first got there? Damn, was it really eight years ago? I was. I had my twenty-eighth birthday in Elevate. I am thirty-six years old. Holy shit! Wait, that is crazy. Yeah, yeah, eight. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was that's... like, real quick, the math wasn't. Yeah, bad. yeah, no, your your math's there, dude. That's. I'm just feeling a little old. That's all, you know. Um, 
Yeah, right. dude. So, so back in the day when you went through, I was, uh, I was overseeing all the clinical delivery, right? So, uh, everything from detox, uh, the, the group facilitation, uh, the health office, like anything that had to do with kind of the day-to-day journey the clients took, that was all kind of underneath my, uh, umbrella. And, uh, so it makes sense that you don't, remember me very much, at least from your treatment experience, because uh, usually if, if people ended up in my office, it's because they either A, wanted to leave, uh, or B, they were so pissed at their primary counselor that they had to talk to their boss, right? Um, you know whose uh, office I spent a lot of time in was Danielle's. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. <laughs> Uh, That's which where is a, you went when you got in trouble. When you got in trouble, yeah, dude. Uh, and great segue, by the way, to to what I remember of Henry and treatment. Um, oh shit! <laughs> not not a lot of trouble. Uh, I wouldn't say that that stood out, but uh, you you suffered one of the plights that uh, that many do in treatment, um, <laughs> all genders, and that is that you showed up to treatment looking pretty good, you know. And, uh, and when that happens, people tend to fall in love and flirt a little bit. And, uh, maybe, maybe attention wasn't as routinely on, uh, the coursework as much as, uh, your peers, I'll say. Uh, but, uh, but dude, one of the things that did stand out that I do, uh, see kind of perpetuating through, uh, your work here on the pod and, you know, your presence online at least is, uh, Super active, super in the gym, uh, which I loved and I feel is such a vital part of life and especially life in recovery. Uh, and, and the other part is that uh, you were funny, dude. You know, I think uh, I think your sense of humor is uh, it, it's one of those things where perhaps for some it may be a little too much. For me, it feels just right, man. I like to I like to play and poke around and. Uh, and that's, that's what stood out, man. And I think, uh, you know, coming into treatment at 28, you're old enough to kind of know the ways of the world, but also not, not too old that you can't learn something new. And, uh, right. And that's, that's what I remember, dude, you know? Yeah, that's pretty good. I'm, I'm impressed. I'm impressed. Uh, and yeah, I, I do wonder now, you know, I was thinking about it today leading up to this. And my program, I would say, looks a little different than a lot of people in like a traditional NA and AA program. And even though I do attend those meetings uh, sometimes, you know, but I was thinking about that. And like you said, the active part, and that's what Elevate was really big on, um, was what else do you do like hobbies, activities, keep yourself busy, find something you love. If I remember right, like that was a big part of the program. And now that I'm thinking about it, like that is how I work my program now and not so much like a traditional NA program. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So am I, <laughs> Sorry, am dude, I, I remembering that correctly? Oh, go yeah, ahead. Yeah, you are. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's so funny how like the ego can still get stroked, right? Hey, Jeremy, tell me what, what you remembered about me at rehab, brother. And then he comes through and he's like, hey, you were the sexiest guy in there. All the women. Yeah, yeah. You. And, you <laughs> and by the way, you're hilarious. Like we needed to yeah. pump up Henry anymore than we already Yeah. Did. Well, you know what, dude? Like, uh, here's the thing, dude. We got to celebrate the ego. You know what I'm saying? Oh, like, uh, it's it's here to service in a way if we know what's happening. Uh, and, uh, 
you know, it's, it's also just like by nature, like I said, like if people ended up like the people who really remember me, uh, from around that time, like 2015 to 2017, if they really remember me, they were having a really, really rough time, you know? So the fact that I remember all of Henry's fun qualities and, and just kind of like bebopping around treatment, like lifting weights and flirting with the girls, like that, that's a good testament that he was working his program. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, actually. And I have to defend myself here and Jeremy can back me up. I texted him. I told him I was going to ask him what he remembered about me. And I specifically said, I'm not asking for you to stroke me. I actually would like to know if that's true. Like if I, what, like my um, character defects, if I was an <laughs> asshole, like yeah, what yeah. I think would be more fun for the podcast is like, yeah. this motherfucker was a goddamn mess. He was oh, the yeah. angriest, which I don't think I honestly really was at that point. Cause I was a little older. So yeah. Yeah. My next rehab, they actually said I was quite the miserable prick when I got there, but <laughs> I think I was kind of, kind of ready at that point, but yeah, yeah we yeah. digress. We're going to get into all this a little bit more, but I want to start with a little more about you. So um, can you tell us and the people a little bit about your addiction and what brought you to recovery? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So uh, so I got sober in 2009 uh, and uh, got a sober date coming up here in a couple of weeks. I'm pretty pumped about that. But um 15 years, coming 15 up, years, or? man. Yeah. Oh yeah. Dude. Yeah. Yeah, man. Thank you guys. I'm, I'm pretty pumped. Awesome. Um, and, uh, yeah, I got, I got sober at 22. Um, and my story is very akin to everybody else's man. I, uh, I started drinking way too young. Uh, I think, uh, a lot, a lot of that and I'll, I'll be brief on it, but I was adopted. Right. And, from the time I was a little, little kid, I always felt like something was weird. Something was off. You know, I'm like this little brown kid. I got like super white parents and, uh, it was, and the, the, the external world never let me forget it. You know what I mean? Like the amount of times, uh, we'd be at like a baseball game or a soccer game and, and parents would be like, Oh, so you're, you're Jeremy's parents, huh? Like how, how, how did that work? Because you're, you're like really white and he's not, and I'm a little kid and little kids just internalize everything. Right. So I'm like, Oh my God, I'm, why am I so different? And yeah, I think, uh, is this in Santa Cruz, Monterey area? No, no, no. So I was, was I was born and raised in Denver actually. Okay. Uh, yeah. Littleton, uh, to be more exact. And, um, you know, so I always had this. So I get the picture. Is that predominantly white? It, it was, was it at the time. Yeah. It's suburban dude. Like, uh, like the most like cliche suburban little community. Right. And, so uh, heightened your feeling of otherness. Yeah. Oh, big time. Yeah. Big time. That, that was really it is, uh, you know, I, I felt other than different and, uh, just this like kind of inherent disconnection. I didn't know what from, or like what, like I missed something, but I didn't know what it was I was missing, you know, it was a very weird experience. And, uh, so then when I was 10, I found out I was adopted and, uh, you know, and it was like, I'm 10, so I don't have the capacity to, to really understand, but, but it started making a little bit of sense. And then, you know, uh, middle school, I realized that, um, 
that alcohol was a thing and that if if you drank it, it kind of made everything feel just a little bit better, you know, and uh, it made things a little easier. And naturally, that became my brilliant strategy was, uh, you know, if I, I didn't like how I felt or I felt uh, something unfamiliar and I didn't want it to be there anymore, I could, you know, drink a little bit and there it'd go. And, uh, in, in high school, my grades really started dropping. I was, uh, super smart, did great on all my tests, crushed the ACT and the SATs, but my, and, and drove my parents crazy because I tested super high, but my grades were super low and nobody could quite figure Mm. it out. And I had, uh, ADHD, you know, diagnosed since I was a little kid and, and all Mm. these, you know, all these different pieces and, uh, you know, falling in love and getting heartbroken and all the normal high school uh, kind of ailments that that young people go through. Only I didn't know how to really hold any of that. And so I, I drank quite a bit. And then fast forward, I dropped out of college uh, to pursue a career in music that didn't really work out because I don't know if you guys know, but if in the music industry, there's a lot of drugs, a lot of drinking, a lot of girls, and that was all a lot more fun than college. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, so I, I, and a I lot didn't more do... fun than showing up for your shows or practice. That's it. That's it, man. And and uh, you know, so fast forward, dude. It's it's 2008, and uh, my life was a complete disaster, dude. I mean, uh, every every aspect of my life was fallen apart and it was the result of uh gross neglect on my behalf both internal and external and of course the fact that uh as a result of these things that i had neglected uh i i'd had quite a bit of i had some problematic situations on my hand that weren't easy to deal with so i drank and i used drugs and that was how i dealt with it and um so in the summer of of 08 uh my roommate kicked me out of my apartment just a couple of months after my parents told me they were divorcing. Uh, I, my girlfriend at the time broke up with me, couldn't deal with the alcoholic and crazy mania that came with being my girlfriend. And, uh, mm-hmm. and my roommate said, dude, you know what, man, like we're done. You got to get out of here. And I had nowhere to go. And I asked my dad if I could move home, but he told me he was moving and my mom didn't want to deal with my shit. And I said, well, dude, I, I got nowhere to go. You know, what am I supposed to do? And he said, well, and he was kind of half kidding, but he said, you know what? I mean, you could pitch a tent out back. It's summertime. You'd be all right. You know? And that's exactly what I did. So I threw up a tent, <laughs> threw up a tent. Uh, I ran a, an extension cord from the house and I thought to myself, all right, I'm going to live in this tent for like two months. Right. And I'm going to go get a job. I'm going to save up some money. I'm going to get a nice little apartment. I'm a quit drinking. I'm a quit drugging, you know, get myself a nice girl and and that'll be my life. You know, I can tell you how the story ends. Go on. Yeah. It, it didn't end well, man. I, uh, I stayed in that tent until, uh, January of 2009, man. So I was in that tent through the Colorado winter. And let me tell you, dude, it, it was not the business, man. I mean, wow. the tent itself was pretty dope. Like as far as tents goes, it was like big tent. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> I had a little bit of power, dude. So like, you know, I was living in a tent, but it was like pretty first class. You know what I'm saying? Like as far as homelessness goes. <laughs> and, uh, anyways, so, 
Uh, I had uh, what what alcoholics refer to as a, a moment of clarity after uh, a failed suicide attempt, and uh, I went to treatment, man, and that was it. Nice, dude. Dude, first of all, that is the best five-minute lead that I've ever heard. You did an excellent job of condensing awesome. it and hitting all the points. That is that was incredible. Go ahead, Kevin. right on. <laughs> yeah, dude. That I, I I will piggyback off that. That was the greatest quick, you know, synopsis of hey, my life was in shambles. I almost killed myself, and here I am today, looking fantastic on a fucking balcony. I mean, I mean, it, it was great, dude. It had everything. Oh, awesome. Um, <laughs> I do think, you know, there's 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 something that's really interesting about that um, from the adoption side. My dad was adopted. And, oh, awesome. And when you look at my uh, my dad's family pictures, it's a bunch of pasty white people. Yeah. And my, and my dad's from an Italian family. So he's he's huge with jet black hair in these pictures. He's. Tan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and it just it just never made any sense. I mean, my grandpa Davis was a ginger. His nickname was Red. So, I mean, I mean, and, and, and lo and behold, you know, my, my dad liked to party as well. So I don't know if there's like a a secret correlation with that when you guys figure that stuff out as adopted children, but there might be something to that, man. I mean, oh yeah. Yeah. No, there, there is a correlation. Uh, and, and it's not so secret there, there is a correlation. Um, they don't have a lot of data on it yet. Uh, but I was at a conference a couple of years back and, uh, a clinical director for this this killer outpatient down in San Diego, I think it was, did a whole presentation about uh, adoptees and drug addiction. And it was absolutely fascinating. And when you think about the mechanics of it, it makes perfect sense, you know, because addiction is the result of, uh, you know, disconnection and shame and trauma. And when you're adopted, you kind of, you come out of the gate with all three uh, kind of at onset of your life, you know, and, yeah. and a lot of that doesn't really register in the psyche, not necessarily. It's, it's mostly in the body, but, but absolutely in the subconscious. A lot of times, uh, people that are adopted spend a lot of time in the hospital alone because they're trying to keep a certain amount of distance between the birth parents and the baby, uh, just because it can get complicated if there's too much attachment. And the result, of course, is that adoptees out of the gate develop attachment issues, right? Yeah. And so, uh, you know, it's, it's, I really don't like to victimize myself or other adoptees like, oh, we're, you know, by default, like behind everybody else or more traumatized. I don't, I don't like going into that. However, um, we are starting our lives on a loss and that loss registers very deeply uh, and very, I I would say more often than not, it's completely unconscious. Uh, And so it, it does make childhood and adolescence a little sticky, you know? Mm -hmm. Well, my, and I have to say like my, your baseline feeling, and I think it would be more subconscious, but it's like my parents didn't want me. Right. I I feel like that's and whatever, you know, there's a million different reasons why. But I would feel like for for someone who, you know, is adopted, that it's just that thought is kind of in the back of their head. Like you said, whether you even realize it or not, you know, there's something about me or and my family and whatever happened that, you know, they didn't they didn't want me. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's a, you know, one step further, there's like uh it, 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 the 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 idea oh i wasn't wanted 
that's like the leaves and the branches, right? At the root of that thought is I'm not lovable. I'm not wantable. There's something wrong with me. It has nothing to do with my parents who didn't want me. It's that there's something about me that is undesirable. Me as who I am is undesirable. Those are the roots, right? And they manifest as these other ideas, but at the roots, it's like, yeah, it's some some pretty deep attachment stuff. Um, and the good news is that, uh, you know, adoption and the way it's done now is is radically different than when I was adopted. And uh, I think that we're bringing a lot more awareness to that kind of thing now. Uh, but of course, that doesn't do much for the millions of people that have, you know, kind of been walking around with this really deep uh, shame and abandonment and attach- attachment issues and stuff like that, you know? You know what, man? It, it's super crazy to hear you say that stuff because now I'm sitting here trying to I've – tr- I've tried to psychoanalyze my dad in in ways that he's processed this right like yeah 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 my dad my dad um always will see my grandma and grandpa davis as his parents Mm -hmm. but there was a wrench thrown into this and now we're going off on an adoption tangent but my brother was working at a restaurant and actually came in contact with the bonanno family wow now and then met his birth mother who gave, who gave him up. And now we are in contact with them. Awesome. But, but the, the crazy thing is, and luckily my dad doesn't listen to this podcast. Cause it'd be like, why the hell are you telling everybody this? Yeah. He has this weird. Um, I don't know if he has this, this crazy expectation of what that relationship would look like, but I don't feel like in his mind, it's adding up to what he, to what he imagined it would be. Right. For sure. Yeah. And, and and it's something I could never understand. Right. So like, be like, Oh, Hey, she was in town or something. Like he'll ask me questions. Cause I, I'm in contact with, with, with my grandmother, Nan. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um and, and it's super weird. It's a very tricky dynamic, man. And, and so yeah. it's interesting talking to you being someone who was adopted. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I want to, I want to, I want to push back just a little bit very gently on, on one thing you said, please do. And that is, uh, that you couldn't understand, but I actually, I don't agree. I think that you, you can more than you may realize. And here's why. So, so I found my birth family and I met them and I have relationships with them now. And, uh, and of course, like I had spent a lifetime building this idea of who they were, what they could be to me. Like, Oh my God, like they will be just like me. Finally, someone who will understand me, you know, or, or like, you know, my parents were both, uh, my adopted parents were like incredible academics, like super smart, high performers business, you know? And then I'm like this riffraff, you know, skateboarder, punk drug addict, alcoholic. Right. It's just like, what the, it doesn't add up. Right. And I thought, man, if I meet them, I'll, I'll finally be with my people. And that was true. Uh, and also the idea I had of them, the idea I had of what our relationship would be if I found them was nothing like reality, right? And the reason I believe we all have the capacity to understand this is because like any relationship, we we go into it with the idealized version of the other person, right? So we start dating somebody new and we're like, oh my God, like this person is everything I could have ever wanted. Like everything is easy. We don't fight. I love holding her hand. Like 
we have this romanticized version, the idealized version of them is what we're falling in love with. And then, of course, like everything in this world, we come toe-to-toe with the reality of it and realize, holy shit, like they're just a person just like me. And we all have flaws. We all have trauma. We all have, you know, attachment issues and this, that, and the other thing. And and usually that results in a breakup and you go your own separate ways or in the rare occasion that you find somebody really special. You stick it out knowing that the work you're going to do to be able to tolerate the other person's trauma and their flaws and this, that, and the other thing and hold them lovingly is worth it. You know that there's going to be an ROI on that work, right? So up to that point, you could totally empathize with what it is to have a romanticized idea of what a relationship would be and then realize this ain't going to be it, you know? Yeah. The only difference, of course, is that, uh, you know, couples can break up. You can't really, you know, break up with the people that created you, you know what I mean? But yeah. you can, though. Yeah, you can. You can if they're toxic. <laughs> That's it, Absolutely. Man. But this is very interesting to me because the other thing I'm thinking is that, so we all, you know, our parents are our parents and whatever, but there's something that just says to me, like, because someone is your biological sperm or egg donor, it doesn't make you're not just going to be instant friends and simpatico and exactly alike. Of course, there's stories of long lost twins and all that, but like, you know, your parents are the parents that raised you. Right. And I'm thinking of this too, in the terms of like, I have, you know, blood family that I'm not close with at all. And I have Mm -hmm. chosen family uh, that I've met in recovery and stuff that, you know, I would take a bullet for. And so it's all, it's kind of, you know, to say like, oh, just because this, these people, you know, you want it to work out, of course. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of, I, I don't have any experience in that, but it's just an interesting thought of like, oh, because we're blood related, we should be X, Y, Z, you know, it's, it's kind of, it's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. No, no. I love what you're, you're speaking to because, um, you know, and I'm, I'm, my therapists uh, love me because I'm such a, a great little Petri dish of just fucked upness and attachment issues. And, oh, yeah, by the way, I was adopted. And, oh, yeah, by the way, this, that, you know, and they just, they're like, oh, my God, this is great. I've got so much shit to do. Go and, about it. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, it's what at the end of the day, like, really, um, you know, my birth family and my adopted family, like, we all, like, my relationships with all of them are complicated and and complex and nuanced and full of love and full of pain and full of joy and full of trauma and and like any relationships in the world that all the dynamics are the same all the all the mechanics are the same even though the dynamics are different and so i think like uh a lot of my work around this topic in particular is really trying to bridge the gap between this, this, this fantasy that has been perpetuated by American society specifically, that family is everything. Family is perfect. Like, uh, that family is first, like all these ideas I'm trying to reconcile with the fact that when you hit a certain age, they are just your friends. 
And the caliber of your friendship is dictated by the caliber of your upbringing. I really believe that. And a lot of times, uh, you know, with my adopted family and my birth family, the same, I did a lot of things during my addiction that created a lot of space between me and my family. I, I did a lot of things that I'm not proud of, you know, that I've spent a lot of time uh, making amends for. And the same is true for them with me. They did a lot of things that that you shouldn't do as parents, you know. And what I try and remember is that my parents, you know, this is their first time living this life too. And mm -hmm. if I can uh, become curious about what could have driven their behavior, if I'm if I'm curious about how I internalized things that had nothing about me, if I come from a place of curiosity more than resentment, healing can happen, you know, and I think that's true for all relationships. And, um, but like you said, it's, it's sticky out there, man. Families are not a, an easy thing, you know? Yeah. Well, I, I love what you're saying too, because I feel like Cameron may have had a moment of maybe he's doing the best the best he could with what he had, which is what I came to with my yeah. dad. But mm -hmm. maybe Cameron thought about this before or it occurred to him now, but like, oh yeah, my dad was adopted. That must've been a little tough on him. And we've talked about this a lot on here. That generation didn't have mental health awareness, no, talk, speech. It wasn't part of it. So mm -mm. whatever the fuck he was feeling about that, he had to suck it up and pull himself up by his bootstraps and be a tough guy, you yeah, know? Dude. So anything, you know, that's, but maybe he's doing the best he could with what he had, you know, the resources yeah. given to him. That's exactly. Am right. I on to anything there, Cam? Yeah. Well, well you are. And, 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 you know, truer words couldn't be spoken. He, he definitely is one of the most unemotionally intelligent people I've, I've ever met. Right. Like you could sit here and ask him what's going on. And he'd be like, be like, nothing. It's all fine. And be, like, be, like, be, like, be like, pal, like it's okay. If it's not fine, dude, let, let, let's yeah. chat about it. And then, and then sometimes I can crack the code. Like I had an hour and a half long conversation with him the other day. And, Ooh. and we finally, we finally got somewhere on some, on some things that weren't just about how the Raiders are going to suck forever or something, you know, <laughs> um, yeah. but but I think it's really cool, and I think you you hit on a really good point there, Jeremy, that, you know, just because they're family um, doesn't mean that they need to be involved. And another thing that I kind of gauge, I heard it on some motivational page on Instagram or something like that, but uh, the idea of success for this one guy who's hyper successful is mm -hmm. that his, is that you've seen it, is that yeah. his children want to spend time with him once they're 18 years old. That's, That's it, my, that is my entire goal. And you know what? My parents, regardless of me sitting here, you know, passive aggressively telling my dad that he is about as sensitive as a Neanderthal. Um, I love spending time with him. Right. I yeah. love spending time with him. I go and I see my mother, my father all the time. And, and so in my idea or the way that I envision the world or the way I see it, they did a damn good job, you know, yeah, because, man. because I still want to go talk to them. I still want to be with them. I still love them. And so I couldn't, I couldn't be more blessed in that regard. Absolutely. And dude, like they're, they're for me, like, you know, I, I spent a lot of time, uh, you know, finger pointing every which way I could, you know, about, you know, why I'm fucked up and, you know, to justify bad behavior and feel better about the uh the circumstances that 
I create it for myself. We create our lives. It is a creation of one. And I, it is a, it's a hard thing to embody that. It's a hard thing to impart that on others. Uh, but I, I really do believe that we are the source point of our lives. I mean, everything that is our life is our creation. Now, a lot of people will say, oh, what about when you get cancer? What about, you know, women who've experienced domestic violence? That's, that's not what I'm talking about. You know, I'm talking about how I hold relationships in my heart, in my mind, energetically. And when I think about it like that, it's like, you know, my dad didn't show up for me for a long time and we've had a lot of conversations about it. And, um, like you said, mental health wasn't a thing for them, you know? And I, I chose a long time ago to lead, lead with forgiveness because when I was forgiven for the things I did throughout my addiction, it made sobriety a little bit easier. And I think mm -hmm. that we spend so much time caught up in they did that and and this happened and they said that and I'll never let it go. It's like, dude, we want that to be punishment for the other person, but the only person it punishes is us. Mm. It keeps us stuck. It keeps us so stuck. Forgiveness isn't like about drinking, making... drinking the poison and expecting them to die. Exactly, dude. Exactly. And so for me, I was like, you know what, man, like forgiveness isn't going to make right what they've done. It means that I've accept what they've done for exactly what it was. And it's just what was as soon as I make that agreement to, to, to let go this animosity that really, it doesn't hurt them one bit, but it keeps me feeling stuck and limited. See you later, dude. I'm out of here. I'm going to forgive as much as I possibly can to bring myself as much peace as I possibly can. And then coincidentally, when you do lead with forgiveness, those conversations about what once was, what happened back then, like what that meant for me, those conversations can then happen and then more importantly, resolve. But if I show up with my sword and shield, we're not getting a resolution. We're just continuing the fight. You know what I mean? Yeah, we've uh, we have an episode on forgiveness and we're on this wavelength with you. Um, one of the things that I said we say is like really important is forgiveness doesn't have to be for the other person. Oh, it totally. can be for you. And it doesn't yeah. mean you're OK with what they did. Like you said, it just means I don't want to carry this baggage anymore. That's I'm it, holding man. this heavy hot lava in my body of anger and sadness and vitriol whatever and i want it out i want it gone yeah. so i can yeah. move on and be happy that's all it is it's not i'm okay with what you did you're allowed to do that to me it's not that at all it's i'm i'm done with holding this and being upset about it because it's time for me to move on that's it man yeah i couldn't agree anymore dude i, I love that and uh something else you said reminded me um, I love that you said, uh, we haven't even gotten the second question. This is fantastic. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, the rude dude podcast, your new host, Jeremy Miller and Forrest Brownell. Forrest Brownell. We retired. <laughs> oh, That's so funny. Um, but so you take away, you take away the adoptive part and you take away, uh, what was the other thing that wasn't part of my story? I forget. But other than that, we are the same person, the ADD 
Yeah. Um, the 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 tests very well, but doesn't apply themselves in school. Yeah. Um, falling in love and getting the heart broken and all the I mean, all it's the same story. And as I was listening to that, it was making me think, you know, you and I or and Cameron, all of us, myself in particular, I'll speak for myself. I thought I was the only one. Right. For I was sure. the only one who felt this way. I was the only one that the world sucked for. And I was the only one who had these problems. And that's the beauty of getting in the program. And like you talked about connection, because we I sit here and I listen to you tell my story and then yeah. I get to go, oh, I'm not the only one. Oh, this guy understands me. And then I get we get to have these conversations and kind of work through this shit because you've been in my shoes and I've been in your shoes. We have the same fucking story. And that's the beauty of you know, like you talked about this connection that, that we have in, in recovery. Yeah, dude, it's, uh, it is probably my favorite thing. And, uh, at least for me in my life, the most important thing, uh, my biggest mission, my biggest to do whatever words you want to put to it. But there's this idea that your shoes and my shoes are different. And, uh, you know, there's like sayings about it. Like if you could walk a mile in my shoes, but the truth is like, we're all wearing the same shoes. We are. And, uh, you know, some people are wearing Nikes. I'm wearing Converse. You know what I mean? Like there may be slight variations, uh, but at, at the fundamental level, it is my belief that the more we lead with authenticity, the more I can say, Hey, like I spent the better part of a decade like drinking and drugging because I felt like there was no way I'd be able to offer the world anything of value. Show me 10 people and I can find at least eight that have felt that very same way at some point. And the other two may not have felt exactly that, but they felt a variation of it. And so you know, the reason we like, I'm a movie guy, right? So like, you know, the reason we like movies is because we resonate with the main character and the main character always has their plights and their ailments. And and by the third act, you see this main character, like come around and, uh, you know, acclimate to their new world, take on these traits that were once hindrances. And we, we want that for ourselves and we want that for each other. And so it is real to me that, Uh, you know, everybody in recovery, everybody at large, like we are all suffering from some sort of idea that we're not enough. We're not good enough. We're good, Mm -hmm. but never great. That if we just do one more thing, we'll finally make it. We'll finally have X, Y, or Z. Uh, Mm -hmm. and, and the truth is like, we look for healing everywhere, you know, but really we just have to look to each other and, when we look to each other, we see ourselves, you know, and I, I think that mm-hmm. that's a, it's a very, very simplistic uh, kind of view, but for me, it feels true, you know? <laughs> yeah, dude, dude, I agree with, I agree with all that, man. And I, I think I, I'm going to backtrack just a tad. And I just wanted to say your, your take on forgiveness was, was something that, that Henry reiterated as well, that, that we all kind of share. I think it's, something that is so vital for us to stay sober and, and us staying successful. 
Oh yeah. Um, the 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 fact that we are the, you know the people that maintain sobriety are able to just quote unquote wash our hands of it and be done with it brings me personally more peace than than any facet of my recovery journey right hey mm-hmm. hey here it is and and that and by no means am i saying that when somebody does me wrong or something wrong i don't immediately cop that resentment that's just human nature right like mm-hmm. hey i'm pissed off at this exact moment but but dude like being able to offload that luggage is is the greatest gift that has been given to me and, yeah. and and i just i just had to jump in and say that because it's it's absolutely just the best man i i, I love that shit dude yeah no I, I love that and you know it's it's funny because when i think about like uh you know like henry said i worked in treatment for a long time and um you know when it came came to making amends and righting our wrongs and uh you know, things of that nature. Forgiveness is, uh, that was a topic that got a lot of, anytime forgiveness came up, my door was getting slammed a lot. You know what I'm saying? People, uh, people get pretty fired up when well, it's time to forgive. That dude. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Dude. People say, he's a piece of shit. Yeah. People go, do you know my fucking dad? If you knew my fucking dad. And I said, dude, like, all right. But, uh, but, but the, what's interesting about, about the mind and about human beings, you know, so we got these egos, right? And ego says, you know, if I forgive them, I'm absolving them. They owe me an apology. They owe me this. And it's like, what a, what a funny thing. Like if you, if you get up to 30,000 feet and you look down at just that concept, it seems silly as shit to me, right? Like, so I'm basically, my ego tries to convince me that in order for me to feel better, I am reliant on this person apologizing to me as if somehow two words, yeah, two words from somebody else will, will make all the bad feeling go away. Now I'm not advocating that we don't apologize to each other. I'm not advocating that we get rid of meaningful apologies by any means. Uh, but what a source point for suffering to rely our happiness, our joy, our peace on contingent on somebody else's showing up the way we want them to. And so for me, like early in my recovery, I learned like there were some people who did not forgive me when I was making amends. Most did, but a handful didn't. And and I understand, you know, like I, dude, I was a fucking piece of shit. You know, I did a lot of terrible things and, you know, if someone did those things to me now, I'd have a hard time too, you know? Um, and when it came time for me to forgive a lot of others in my life, I ran into that stickiness too, you know, but the minute I did, I felt my body feel lighter. I felt a mm-hmm. smile come to my face a little easier. And I said, dude, you know what? Like, Anything I can do, even if it increases my potential for sobriety one more minute by 1%, I'm going to fucking do it. Why wouldn't I, you know? And so for those that are kind of stuck in that, like, should I forgive? It's too much. What they did was too much. Hey, dude, like, if you can hold it as something that happened and you can say, you know what? That happened back there. I'm going to, I'm going to give myself a month. I'm not going to think about it. I'm not going to stir myself up about it. I'm going to say, you know what? I'm going to think about this 30 days from now. You will feel lighter. 
And that's just a taste of what forgiveness acceptance can do. And that's, that's important. I think for us in recovery, it is dude. And, and it, and it, and it actually is a, is a virtue that was, and I, and I'm not getting religious, but, but that's a very judo Christian, Christian type of view. I mean, I mean, oh, totally. like over 2000 years. Right. And, and there's a reason why, why he said that, right. It was for that mm-hmm. exact reason. That's you know, it, man. Don't harbor those resentments. Forgive everybody. Your yeah, yeah. forgive them all, man. It's not worth it, right? And and it's That's funny it. when you sit here and you talk about it, but dude, like 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 this isn't some modern day fucking invention. Like 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 bro, like like, like this was spitted two thousand years ago in Israel. <laughs> That's it, man. Yeah, dude. It's actually invented by my sister who created boundaries, <laughs> as we learned a couple of weeks back. Okay, right, well, let's, get, let's get to our uh, questions before he fucking freezes on his balcony, bro. Yeah, dude. I, I feel bad. We're only on the second question, dude. I can I get like this sometimes, bro. Hey, I told you we just go with the flow, and I, I think we're having great conversations. I mean, right I do want to touch on one other thing you said in there, though, because I was listening to a podcast today, and it wasn't recovery-related, but they were talking about um, making repairs. And in essence, what they were talking about in our in our terms is making amends. Yeah. And what she was talking about, one of the things that, that you said was, that we're relying on, you know, they, they owe me an an apology, which, and what they were talking about was at that point, you're relying on someone to someone else to make you better and, or, or to make you feel better, whatever. And we have to do this like self, self healing, self soothing. She talked about that was the thing you do before, before you make the repair, you check in with yourself and get yourself right. And also you, uh, they were talking about like yelling at your kids, right? And people who say "I'm sorry" and they need their kids to say "It's okay, mommy," to to make themselves feel better. But it's not your child's job to make you feel better. Just like it's not anyone else's job that you think owes you an apology to make you feel better. Th- this only we can make ourselves feel better. And like by doing that, letting go, you're you're allowing yourself to feel better. Um, And it reminds me of another thing that I was taught, like we give of ourselves without the expectation of a result. Yeah. So we forgive without the expectation of result. We apologize or make amends without the expectations of result because we don't control what other people do or how they react or how they respond. But we can we keep our side of the street clean, as we say. So I can apologize or I can make an amends um, or I can offer my help to someone. But if they don't listen or they don't accept it or they 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 don't want to forgive me, that's fine. That that yeah. doesn't have anything to do with me. I have no control over that. So but I, I give it up and then I let it go. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I love what you're saying, dude. Um, let me ask you, bros, this. Have you guys ever read uh, A New Earth by Eckhart Tolle? I haven't. I have not. Okay, so so put that one at the top of your reading list, dude. Um, it's uh, it's it's probably like uh, I I would say it's my favorite, my number one like self help book. Uh, I read this book and it it totally changed my fucking life, like top to bottom. Um, Interesting. And it it deals with ego. That's that's the whole kind of the the theme of the the text is really about ego and. Uh, something interesting that Eckhart speaks to is like, okay, so a lot of times we'll be sitting here like needing something from 
the external, whether it's like just universally needing something like, God, you know, like I feel really lonely and I, I, I would love like some attention, you know, or I feel really sad. I would love for someone to make me laugh or, uh, I feel, yeah, like approval, all these things. Right. And Eckhart essentially, and I'm going to totally butcher this, but, uh, paraphrased it's the idea is that you know we can we can sit around all day and expect things of the universe um but but we we really know that's not quite how the universe works and so while i could sit here and wish that my dad had modeled what it is to be connected to your feelings while i could wish that my dad would call me up one day and and say dude you know what like didn't show up for you back then. And I wish I had, I can sit here and wish, uh, until I'm blue in the face, you know, uh, and it won't bring it any closer to my reality, that wishing what would, however, is if what I requested of the universe, what I wished for, I gave instead. So for example, uh, you know, my dad, uh, I, I really wish that he had, you know, uh, taught me or at least modeled to me what it is to name an emotion and, and talk about it. Well, I, I wished for that for a long time, but I never considered that the man I'm wishing it from was literally programmed not to for his entire life. Right. So why the fuck would I sit here and wish him to just uh, just one day on a dime undo all of his programming? Right. Over 65 years of program. Right. What if instead I gave it to him? What if instead of wanting that from him, I say, hey, dad, dude, um, I don't want this to land too heavily with you. And I certainly don't want to hurt your feelings. I just want to open a conversation and let you know that I've been doing a lot of personal work. And in that, I've kind of realized that there were a lot of times, especially in high school, where I was struggling and I didn't feel like I had anyone to talk to about it. And that was like super hard for me. And I felt like when you asked you know, if everything was okay, if I didn't answer with a positive, uh, it was treated almost like, uh, like you rolled your eyes, like it's one more problem you've got to deal with. And that, that, that hurt my feelings, man. And I'm not trying to make you feel bad. I just want you to know. Now, if I say that to my dad, he's going to be a lot more likely then to reciprocate and say, dude, you know what? Like, man, back then, like I was trying to close deals in my business to like keep food on the table. And I, I had 20 bucks, you know, in my bank account. I didn't know when the next paycheck was coming. I didn't know if we'd have food and boom, all of a sudden my dad is sharing with me his feelings. He's putting words to his experience. And that's what I wanted. I got it not from sitting around wishing for it, but for giving it to the universe instead. And it's universally applied. You can do it in your relationship with your partner, with your parents, with your friends, with your pets. Like it is the universal language, I believe. And so while I can hinge my inner peace, my inner landscape on someone else doing something, if I want to take control and be proactive in my life, I'm going to do the thing I want them to do first. 
And a lot of times, sometimes it doesn't work out. Sometimes it's not reciprocated, but you know what? I fucking went for it. I tried. And that in and of itself brings a lot more peace than sitting around wondering. You know what I mean? Technical difficulties. And uh, Germ now has a hoodie and a blankie. He's fucking ready for action. I'm blankie. Uh, <laughs> what's funny is I've, I've, I made maybe a more complete outline than I almost ever do for a podcast. And we have done almost none of it. And uh, how this works, some guests, and you might you probably know Jeremy. Yeah. Some guests you have to drag along oh, yeah. by their fucking ear. Oh, yeah. And they give you one word answer. You obviously are not one of those people. No. So we're just cruising along. But I feel like what we're talking about is so much more interesting than the questions I have. Um but I do want to. I do want to get into the elevate stuff a sure. little bit. Yeah, let's do it. So, man. did you? Did you? Is that where you went for rehab? And was that your first try? And did you stay clean your first try? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so I went to Narconon, which is uh, like a. It's a little bit of a different treatment experience than most get. Uh, all of the the programming is based on L. Ron Hubbard stuff. And so, uh, and, and the programs were in, insanely long. Like my program was almost, uh, let's see. So my program was like, just like a week shy of six months. And, uh, and so it was, it was very, very different. Um, and you know, now like, uh, that I'm older, I, I kind of look back at that. And a lot of times people are like, holy shit, like Scientology. Oh my God. And it's like, yeah, man, you know, like I didn't know it was, uh, when I signed up. Um, and even like the first couple of weeks I was there, I was like, yo, like, I didn't think this is what like rehab would be about. You know what I mean? Like I'm, I'm doing some weird shit and I'm cool with it, but like, this isn't quite like what I pictured, you know? Um, and, uh, and so like a couple, a couple of weeks in, uh, funnily enough, I was like, cause I had never even heard of Scientology in my life. You know, this is 2009. Like, I, I don't know if I was sheltered or what, but like, I just didn't know, you know? And, uh, so one day I'm smoking out by the gym, ironically. And, uh, a bunch of people were like, yeah, this is like Scientology shit and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, wow. Okay. Well, Low science. What, what oh, Scientology cool. <laughs> mean? I don't even, you know, and, um, and, uh, and so anyways, when I, when I finished treatment, I, uh, I signed on to work there and, and, uh, uh, so let's see how many years was that? So for five years, uh, just under six years, it was, uh, narcan on the Scientology based stuff. And then, uh, around 2015, uh, leadership at, uh, at the program, uh, decided they wanted to take a, a uh, another stab at it and take a different approach. And uh, so a couple of my coworkers and then a couple, uh, like they 1099 to a couple people, uh, wrote the the Elevate program and, and rolled that out. And um, and that's, of course, what, what Henry attended. But, uh, but yeah, it was my first time in treatment, only time in treatment. Uh, here I am all these years later, still standing, dude. Um, got a little wobbly, uh, around 2014. Um, but nothing crazy, dude, nothing that, uh, like I didn't fall off the wagon or, you know, throw my fucking life away or anything like that. Um, 
You were peeking over the edge, though. Peeking over the edge is a good way to put it, dude. I was, uh, <laughs> I was, I was flirtatious, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, man. So uh, a different kind of treatment, and uh, but here I am, you know. So do with that what you will. You know what I mean? So I had been to two rehabs, and they were like most, uh, just a basically an NA related program and we attended meetings and stuff and i went to um i came to elevate and they've got me like finger painting with like a hippie lady in art class <laughs> yeah. which is actually cool as shit like i'm yeah. fine with uh it was a lot about mindfulness um and it was not na or aa related um I'm going to jump back, dude. ADHD brain. So Cameron mentioned Bananos. Yeah. And that's really fucking cool because I thought it was off limits because like they're the mob and we don't talk about it. So this is a glorious day for me. Um, <laughs> that, you that's got what, to that's, 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 that's that my Cameron bloodline, bro. Millionaires, bro. Actually has mob ties. <laughs> like, like, there we go. I'm talking, I'm talking full okay. on track suits. Like, like yeah, real dude. Deal, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's awesome. But what's also awesome is that so... Oh, this was like a scandal to us clients, oh, yeah. right? Yeah, we yeah. We found out somehow about the Scientology stuff, and everybody was like, it's not Scientology anymore, but also, like, don't fucking talk about Scientology. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I don't remember exactly how it was, but they were like, don't say that. You don't say that in front of the other clients. It could screw them up. And I do get the reasoning of, like, hey, don't you don't want to scare people off, whatever. But it was a weird, like, hush-hush thing. Yeah. And then I think the catalyst for what made it worse is one day in the TV room, that famous woman, I forget her name, she had just made that documentary about Scientology. Oh, Leah Remini. <laughs> Leah Remini, yeah. and we watched it in the TV room, and there was some similarities, and we were like, "These this shit is fucking Scientology." There was like, <laughs> when, when you um when you broke a rule and you had made a um there was I forget what it's called, but you get like a punishment. You had to rake leaves and shit. Yep, yep. And that was like a Scientology principle. Yep. And like I. I raked a lot of fucking leaves. Let's just put it that way. And yeah. <laughs> if you if you didn't break any rules yeah. for the whole week, you got a rewards trip. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. needless to say, in my 121-ish day tenure, I only had one fucking rewards trip uh, <laughs> <laughs> of three months worth of weekends. But anyway, um, we saw that and we were like, dude, this is still kind of Scientology. And it, it wasn't like a bad, but that, that was a very strange. So my thing was girls, as he alluded to me and this one particular girl were quite flirtatious, but it was very like forbidden. Yeah. And that's what kind of made it more fun. Yeah. It was yeah, like yeah. very secretive. And I would be in Danielle's office all the like, oh, we think you have a relationship. We think you like her. I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Know, yeah. I'm not even sure. What you're <laughs> and, uh, but dude, it was, it was like, Oh, it was a weird thing, man. Yeah, it man. was a very, and I, and I, I stand by, I don't think all, Better for better or worse, I don't think all the Scientology principles completely went away after Narconon was gone. Yeah, so uh, you know, and you and I had texted a little bit about this offline, you know, just making sure we got the all clear to go there. And you know, a, a lot of my uh, my reluctance around um, so when when we were a Narconon. There was, uh, 
you know, there's, there's a lot of flaws with the Narconon program. You know, if, if somebody today came to me and said, Hey, Jeremy, dude, I'm, I'm thinking about sending my kid to a Narconon, I would say no. And, uh, and that's, uh, interesting to me being that like, I'm still sober, you know what I mean? Um, and there aren't nearly as many as there were, uh, back in the day. And the ones that are still here, I don't, I honestly don't know how many there are, where they are, what they're up to. It's been so long. Um, but I was, uh, you know, I was on leadership when when the decision was made, not senior leadership, but one level down when uh, the decision was made to switch. And it was made because a lot of the principles and practices were like archaic. It was super old. It was super outdated. We're not talking about trauma. We're not fucking like, we're not really dealing with uh, what we felt as a team were kind of the the things that required attention, you know. and um, so when the, the Elevate program was written, it was written in a way very consciously to not include any Scientology, anything, because it, it, it was hard enough trying to get people to go to a Scientology rehab. And yeah. to my surprise, it was even harder to get people to go to a rehab that was once Scientology, but was no longer. And... Uh, a lot of times people hear Scientology and fucking just like freak out, even though 99% of it is literally just like reading books and like, you know, like there's, there's weird shit. And that's for another podcast that I'd be happy to do. But, <laughs> but when it came to elevate, like the, any remnants were there that were left over were very much like, okay, what about the structure of like, you know, you got 80 people living in a building, uh, you know, and like, okay, so most programs, if you get in trouble, you just get routed out. You just get sent home. And, uh, or, you know, you meet with your therapist, you talk about it and then nothing changes. And so Henry, your example is a perfect one because it's like one of very few things that transitioned over. And that is, well, you know, when you've, when you're in a group of people and this group of people is really serious about like getting better and uh, you know, and, and it's, it's hard to cohabitate uh, a small place for three or four months, especially when you can't have your drugs, you know? And so, you know, people are going to break the rules. What can we do to encourage responsibility? What can we do to, uh, to get people's skin in the game, so to speak, where it's like, you know, we don't want to send you home, but you've got to do something. And that was one thing where it's just undeniably effective. And, uh, and there's no theology behind it. There's no like, oh, we're trying to break you down before we build you up. Even though that's not part of Scientology, it's often assimilated with Scientology, right? Um, but as far as like the core curriculum, you know, Tots wrote that, that whole program. You know, Tots wrote with a couple other people. And you remember Tots? A little bit. The name is ringing a bell, yeah. but I can't like put a face to it. Japanese dude. Super fit. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, and uh, and we had hired like a, a couple of people that had been clinical directors at other programs because we wanted it to be different cutting edge. And that's where we said, you know what? Like, let's bring in fitness and mindfulness. You know, two things that most programs aren't doing mm -hmm. that coincidentally everybody's doing now. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, man. Trendsetters. Yeah. Well, 
And I, I don't, um, as I've mentioned before on this podcast, this is, it's never our purpose to like put somebody down or drag them through the dirt. I have nothing but a good experience there. There was some stuff that I thought was weird, but it was also just a non-traditional rehab experience. That's for sure. dude. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and it's not a negative. I, you know, yeah. like I said, I think I still use things from that program today. Awesome. But, um, but it was, dude, mindfulness that you guys were ahead of the curve on mindfulness. Yeah, big and, time. Dude, Cam, when I tell you these motherfuckers would try to make me sit there, I mean, they would make me sit there for 15 minutes. Every day. Eyes closed, meditation, it, and I'm fucking spinning, yeah, dude. dude. Yeah, and then And then we would do eyes open meditation, which was really cool. Yeah. Uh, we'd sit overlooking like this, like cliffside mm-hmm. out in Monterey. Mm-hmm. And, and then there was stuff for my little ADD brain to look at. Yeah. Um, but that, so that, that was really cool. And there was one step, I think, I'm sure obviously you guys borrowed from some other programs. Oh yeah, for but sure. The one thing I definitely remember was the responsibility step. Yep. Is that what it was called? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is basically, I always describe it to people as it's basically a force step. It is. That's, right? that's what it is, man. Yeah. So when the, you know, the responsibility step was a huge piece and we, we were super clear, like we didn't want to be 12 step based, you know, because, uh, you know, Scientology was a religious kind of way of going at things. We didn't want to replace one for another, you know? Uh, and so we decided against the 12 steps and, uh, but, but the fourth step in particular, there's so much evidence to suggest, I mean, it's, it's so efficient. And, uh, I think that at least my theory is that while it was being incorporated, it was like, okay, you know, we don't want to, we were very careful not to edge ourselves into a shame-based model, right? Like, I don't think that 12 steps inherently shame-based. I think that it is very easily, shame is very easily created in the 12 steps. Um, and I think that depends on what room you're in and who's in there with you, you know? Um, but as a program, it was very important. Like, we don't want to create more shame. We want to take things that happened look at them, you know, under a microscope, take responsibility for them, let them go and move on. You know, I think that's interesting. Sorry, I got to jump in. I think, I think it's super interesting hearing a different approach outside of the 12 steps. Right. Like, like, like it's just, it's just odd to me. Right. Because that's all I've known. Um, and it, it, and I, you know, you hear about these treatment facilities, like non 12 step based. And I've, I've always just been curious to be like, well, what the hell does that even look like? You know, yeah, you know yeah, what yeah. I mean. So is it like this? Uh-huh. Just this hodgepodge of mindfulness, and then and then a, you know, a a, a a wicked stepsister version of a step four, you know, and then we and then we call it a day, and you you rake leaves on the side, kind of, <laughs> and we and we watch and we watch that Henry was... chase ass. I mean, <laughs> yeah, we check and see. I mean, <laughs> that was a terrible bastardization <laughs> yeah. of what we did at Elevate. Around, but, <laughs> no, no, but but dude. Uh, you know, you're touching on something that's, that's important to me, you know, like I've, uh, you know, I, I hit the rooms long before I went to Narcanon and, uh, and I have nothing but love for the 12 steps. And I, I think that, you know, for what the 12 steps are, they have done more for our community than really anything else on planet earth. Um, and a lot of people that, uh, you know, seek alternative treatment, have a lot of shit to talk about the 12 steps, but that's a callback to, very early in this conversation about pointing the finger at everything, uh, trying to 
kind of pacify this uh, reality that we created what we're in, you know? Uh, and so, you know, at Elevate, it was a lot of uh, like cognitive behavioral therapy, like how you think, how you feel, and how does that inform behavior? It was a lot of um, like process group, really kind of standard treatment shit. Uh, just instead of 12 steps, it was like smart recovery, mindfulness-based recovery. Uh, we did like uh, refuge recovery for a while until all that shit went down. Um, and so, yeah, it was kind of like everything but the 12 steps, everything you find at a, at any other treatment center, uh, except for the 12 steps. Yeah. And another thing, and, and here we are again, uh, finding pieces to the puzzle of my, what my current program looks like now, if I remember right, I think it was after dinner or before dinner, I'm pretty sure it's after dinner, there was exercise yeah. and you could either work out at the gym Yeah. At minimum, you had to walk laps around the spot, or they would also take you to a CrossFit gym. Yeah, um, and that was every day. That's that's plan. That's part of your day. Yeah, and it's these habits I build. And what do I do after work every day? Every day that I can, three or four days a week. That's it. I go to the gym. That's it. And and it's part of my recovery. It's part of my life. It's it's just encouraging this like action. Like yeah. how do we fill our time with things other than getting drunk or high? Right. So, yeah. And it was mandatory. And, mandatory. uh, yeah. And, and since you left, they built a CrossFit gym up there. Nice. Yeah. So there, there's a CrossFit gym on, on the property now up there. I haven't been there in a while. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, fitness was mandatory and that was, that was universally important to everybody on the staff. Um, I mean, fitness, uh, for me personally, I I've, uh, you know, I've been working out since like I was two weeks sober, you know, and, uh, and I can't tell you, uh, any other routine or regimen that has, has maintained, uh, for that long. You know what I mean? Word. Yeah. I mean, I talk about it at, at nauseum on here and I always say as protocol would state, I got to the gym before because I love going before I record because I have more energy. I, oh, totally. I always feel like I do a better show yeah. if I work out before I record. Yep. Um, do you have something, Cam? No, no, I mean, I mean, I guess I, I, I see how that could be a successful program, right? It's more of a, it's more of a, a modern take on living, right? Like here's a, here's a healthier yeah. way of dealing with emotions instead of going with this rigid 12 step program, right? It's, it, it's a different process. So, so I could see it being successful and I actually do see Henry implement some of those things. It's now starting to add up because I can sit here and look at how he runs his program, <laughs> right? And yep. me and him have talked about our programs together, you know, like what mm -hmm. does mine look like? Mm -hmm. What does his look like? And, you know, we roughly got sober at the same time, like six years ago. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. so we kind of share this same thing and how it evolves, but the fitness thing, like he just said, it clearly came from that. I don't know if, me yeah, I don't know awesome. if meditation will ever come to it because Henry just can't do it. Some <laughs> yeah. people can't do it, man. Some people can't do it. Yeah. That's not a dig at hen. It's just, it's, it's hard. I got into it the last time I got out of treatment. I really did. And then I just don't make time for it, but yeah, I do nice. enjoy it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but I also say the gym is my meditation. So oh, for I sure. ADHD brain. Yeah. When I got my music jamming and I'm lifting weights, yep. when I'm, I have those two things to keep my brain occupied, I'm fucking meditating. Yeah, dude. And I'll put that up against anyone. I, I believe that in the bottom of my soul dude oh, yeah. the world is gone i'm not thinking about anything worried about anything i'm fucking getting after it and i'm in my zone like that is my meditation i love it dude yeah that's awesome
So I'll I'll ask this question: <clears throat> What do you what do you do now? Do you do you work in recovery still, or what what is what does life look like for you right now, bro? Yeah, dude. So uh, yeah, so I I worked in treatment, uh, you know, pretty much since uh, since two thousand nine. Um, you know, I got my KDAC and stuff like that, and. Uh, you know, I left Elevate uh, in March 2020, ironically, um, and uh, I, I felt like at the time I had been like far too singular with my efforts. You know, I was doing uh, business development at the time I left, you know, so I, I went from overseeing all the clinical to, uh, you know, outreach and, you know, trying to build the the biz uh, out in the world a little more. And uh, I saw and met... Uh, you know, thousands of people doing incredible work. And I, I felt really called to, to support the industry as a whole, rather than just like one program, you know? And, um, so I, I worked with TJ Woodward at conscious recovery for a little bit of time. And then, uh, during COVID, I, uh, I took a job at a, a little outpatient in Los Gatos, California called embodied recovery. Um, and then, uh, and then I had this wild idea, like I was still pretty unfulfilled. I knew I wanted to do my own thing, but didn't quite know what it was. And, uh, so anytime I, I don't know what to do, I just sit outside and wait, you know, I don't, I don't have my phone. I just kind of sit outside. I look around and, uh, and I just think, and I wait for whatever's there to emerge. And, uh, so I'm walking laps and at my old house and, and I had this idea, like, you know, I was going to school for music and film. You know, I wanted to make music and make movies. That was like my thing uh, since I was like five years old, you know, and I, I hadn't uh, really worked on that at all. And I thought to myself, God, I wonder if I could marry those two, like my love of filmmaking and my love of behavioral health, you know, the the industry that we're in. And, um, and then I had this crazy fucking idea. Like, I wonder uh, if I could like go around and make little movies for treatment centers of like what they do, you know, and I go online and I look at rehabs and all their videos are just so fucking terrible. Like they feel like ads, you know, like it's just like, Oh yeah. At, at, uh, Serenity Monterey, like we do CBT and DBT and EMDR and ACT and, you know, start your new life today. And there's sad piano and like pictures of the house. And like, you know, they're like, staging photos like all the staff are like pretending to be clients and i was like dude this is such bullshit like some like, stock photo yeah, of dude. like a fake homeless person yeah dude like and and like and they all hammer on the pain of what it is to be an addict as if like we don't fucking know already you know like <laughs> like nobody knows better than us dude why are you telling me how bad it is to be an alcoholic you know what i mean like yeah. and and so they're all hammering the pain but they're not speaking at all to recovery, which is the joy, the pleasure, the vitality. That's life. That's the goal. Why the fuck aren't we talking about it? Like the people that work in this industry are salt of the earth. They're the most magnificent people on planet earth. And, and they're using acronyms that nobody understands. Like what there's this huge disconnect, you know? And so anyways, I'm thinking all that. And I, uh, so I called up my best bud at, at the time we were doing a podcast and uh, his name's Dallas. And I called him up and I said, dude, I, I've got this crazy idea that we should get a bunch of like film equipment and start making videos for behavioral health. And, uh, and he said, yeah, dude, let's do it. You know? And 
so I called a colleague of mine who's uh, run a, a bunch of like extremely successful treatment centers. She's been in the game 30 years. And I, I called her up and I said, hey, I've got this idea and I need you to tell me if it's crazy uh, or if I should do it, you know? And so I pitched her on the idea. She said, you should do it. We bought a camera, bought some gear. And uh, that's what we do now, man. Nice, dude. Yeah. First off, yeah. first off, let's let's not talk about how the greatest rehab commercial ever to exist, Passages Malibu. Oh I, God, I, dude! I used to now be an I'm addict, <laughs> and now I'm not. <laughs> yeah, dude. That's exactly what I was that, dude. That's about. the zinger of all zingers, dude. I seen that commercial. All zingers. Seen that commercial, dude. Gave me hope, dude. Yeah. Guy at Passages <laughs> Malibu could do it. I could do it, bro. Except that's it, dude. That Anybody in recovery, that's it. you know, is like, well, that's fucking ridiculous because we're <laughs> addicts for the rest of our lives. That's it. And that guy's dead, yeah. by the way. Yeah, he's so, dead. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, man. That's awesome. Yep. That was the fuel, dude. Out, that was oh, a lie. Yep. That's fucking funny. Um, I do want to talk about some more uh, Elevate stuff, but we we don't need to go backwards. Uh, that I, I, I just have to say that responsibility step, I, I want to tell people about it. It was wild. So... Instead, when you got to the responsibility step, there it, there was a curriculum in the program, and you had to finish the curriculum to graduate. So it wasn't necessarily an amount of time, but you had to finish the curriculum, and people did it at their own speed. It took roughly three months. But when you got to the um, the uh, responsibility step, you didn't do the regular classwork, whatever shit. You sat in um, in this main building with the other people who were on it and just wrote yeah. all fucking day long. All day. I mean, most of the day yep. you sat there and you wrote stories. Um, and it, it was like, there was, there was different uh, layers of life. You did each one, one by one. And um, you had to write what I was told. Like every time you ever got drunk or high, no matter if anything bad happened or whether you hurt anybody or not. And you have to like finish it with what you what what your part was in it and whatever i'm kind of i'm kind of butchering it um but i give that like so much credit for first of all i was able to see patterns in what i what i did mm -hmm. a lot mm -hmm. um and and where i went wrong and then second of all i was able to like let those things go and forgive myself for those things um and I also, I don't know if you, you probably didn't hear about this, but I, I started getting in trouble because I, I started naming them like Cameron, you'll love this. I wrote, the, Oh, you were part of this story. <laughs> Remember the night I ditched you guys when we went to the party and uh, from spaghetti factory, the girl from spaghetti. <laughs> so I labeled that story because I, I had relations with one of the women there and I labeled that story. Spaghetti makes you ready. And uh, the blonde, the blonde woman was like, "You gotta fucking stop doing this. You can't, you can't be <laughs> naming these stories." <laughs> oh shit! Yeah, that sounds uh, about right. I went to jail that yeah. night, dude, because of your fucking shenanigans, bro. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't driving. She was driving. Oh, fuck. We fucking lost him. I was with the girl. He was in the other car. Oh yeah. Anyway, I love but, it, yeah, dude. That. That responsibility step, man, was really cool. Um, and I credit it for just being an open book now, I guess, because you had to sit there and like a lot of my mishaps were uh, portrayed against 
women. Yeah. And I had to hand this paper off to a woman mm-hmm. in a room with like 30 people. They didn't read it aloud, of course, but she would sit there and read it. And I would just be like, oh, my God. <laughs> and they'd be like, they'd be like, good. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. And then you just keep going. Um, so that was a wild experience, but it was a really good one. Good. So so kudos on, on the uh, responsibility step. Yeah, man. I'm glad. Uh, I'm glad that it's. Uh... That is still with you. You know what I mean? Um, you know, and, and, and when I went through treatment at Narconon, there was something similar, a uh, lot of differences, but some similarities. And dude, like, I remember like coming a- away from it, just being like in a, some somewhat disbelief of the fact that I was still standing, you know what I mean? And, uh, yeah. and that's an important thing, man. I mean, I think like in recovery, we don't, um, we don't give ourselves credit often enough for what we endured. Uh, you know, usually it's like, Oh, I can't believe I put myself through that. And, you know, but dude, I mean, you want to talk about resilience, find me a drug addict. You know what I mean? Like they, they fucking endure the worst possible conditions just to use one more time, you know? And when we, when we sign up for recovery, we take that same resilience with us, but sometimes forget that we have it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. That's, you know what, man, I'm going to, I'm going to take that little nugget with me, man. That's a good one. Sometimes you you get kicked in the nuts, right. And be like, well, shit, man, you know, some of that resilience to get loaded every day, you know, you know, if I, if I could just lean on that today, I can get through this day. Right. (laughs) That's it. You forget about it. You forget about it. Right. Like I don't. Yeah, exactly. Well, it's like they say, does the crackhead ever wake up and say, I don't think exactly, I'll smoke crack dude. today? Hell no. They're going to figure <laughs> out a way to get their motherfucking crack. That's, that's it. it that's, that's it. it, man. Yeah, man. And that's it. Um, so, yeah, kudos on that. Uh, and let's. Uh, so I think we kind of touched on this, but I'll ask you again. What is your favorite part of recovery? My favorite part is. Uh, Hmm. I mean, my favorite part of my personal recovery is that I get to wake up and live the life I've built, you know? Um, and, and that's that, you know, I think, uh, much deeper than that. It's, it's just passing the torch, dude. I think, uh, I made a promise to myself, uh, you know, I I was in, in treatment maybe like two or three weeks in and all these strangers, these people that didn't know me, uh, that had never met me before cared for me very deeply. And, um, Mm -hmm. and that, that really moved me. It was, it was very unfamiliar to me. It was very, uh, surreal to me that these people that just met me could care for my life the way these people did. And, uh, when it dawned on me that the reason they care for my life, the way they had is because somebody had cared for theirs. Uh, I made a promise that, uh, that I'd be, uh, really, really open with what I've learned, what I've gained, what I've lost, how I got it, how I lost it, uh, that I would share my phone number with anybody on planet earth. And that if, uh, no matter who it is, where they are, what's going on, if they call, I'll answer. If they text, I'll reply. Uh, and if, if they ask for help, I'll help. And, um, I made that promise and I've honored it every single day since. And, uh, and that's my favorite part, man. And that's how, that's how we keep this recovery train running, man, is, is by passing the torch, passing the baton and, 
uh, and helping everybody we can, man. And that, that is my favorite part. Hell yeah, dude. Yeah, absolutely. The, the, one of the best things I ever heard in uh, a lead one time, this woman said, we don't get pulled out of the fire to walk away. That's it. We get pulled out of the fire and then we have to, it's our responsibility to turn around and pull some, pull up the rest of our people out of the fire. That's it, dude. And I was like, damn, yeah. that's fucking I, right. I like to tell Henry that all the time, like, you know, regardless of the size of this podcast and, and our goals and our aspirations for it, like, this is our attempt at doing that, right? Like, like we, we sit back and it's, 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 can we, how can we help in some way? Right. And, yeah, and, and, yeah. and there's nothing, there's no better feeling than that, bro. And, and I'm glad that you yeah. share that sentiment and I'm glad that Henry, my partner feels the same way. Right. Like Henry, Henry's uh-huh. one of the most empathetic um, people I know, man. Like, like, like dude gives it with his heart to these people. And when they don't get it, you can see it and you can hear it in his voice that it, it hurts him. Like, like, like it yeah. hurts him when, when, when an addict that he knows out there in West Virginia doesn't get it. Right. And yeah. it's a reality yeah. in our world, but, but, of course. but, but, but it's sad, right? Because you just, we yeah. want to give that light. Uh, so I so yeah. hats off to you for that, bro. That's that's a that's a good one, man. I do have oh, I yeah. do have one question for you because I kind of lurked your page and I love what you're doing, dude. Um, did you meet fucking fucking Novak, dude? Oh yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. So, <laughs> so so Brandon Novak, uh, what a what a what a character that guy, dude. Um, yeah. So he. Um, so we've done a couple events uh, where uh, so my good friend owns a, a detox in Hollister and then a residential down in Avila Beach and uh, and she'll do like uh, she she does like a lot of drug education and stuff like that and she'll always try and get Novak to come out and speak and uh, anytime she does we you know throw the camera gear in the car and go out and film it because. Uh, a, the guy is just su- such a fucking trip uh, that it's like, dude, roll the cameras. We're going to get something good. Yeah. Uh, and B. Uh, Does he have bars? Recovery bars? Oh, dude, yeah. I mean, he's got like pretty much one one speech, but it's <laughs> so good that I don't mind hearing it over and over. You know? <laughs> like, yeah. And uh and yeah, so so yeah, we we've got uh, we've we've uh, had the opportunity to work together a handful of times. Yeah, he's a cool nice, dude. Dude, nice. Yeah. As, as a skateboarder and a and a, and a and a jackass connoisseur from from that generation, yeah. that that's awesome, bro. That, that's like when we, yeah, dude. When we and see our buddy Alan Hannon. He he made it in the skateboarding world. He's out. He's out. He works for Primitive. He he's hanging awesome. out with, with Paul Rodriguez and everybody we used to watch. Oh, yeah. Like like it's no yeah. big deal. So I think it's cool when I when I yeah. saw that dude. Oh, dude, yeah, and, and and when we met him, I mean, all me and Dal talked about was skating, yeah. dude, because we're we're both skater kids, and you know, I'll still get out and push around and. And yeah, it's pretty fun to talk skate culture with uh, with someone who's also sober. You know, what I mean, it's it's cool. Yeah. Um. So last kind of last question uh, is since you went to that program and you're, what does your program look like? Are you, do you do NAA meetings at all? Or do you not? And what else do you do? What? Yeah, so I'll uh, I, I do meetings sometimes. Uh, I like to treat it like a fancy meal, you know. It's not every day, but it's definitely every once in a while. Um, you know, when I feel distant from recovery, when I feel uh, like like maybe I'm I'm not as close as I'd like to be, I go to a meeting, you know, uh, and that that's where I get juiced up. I like being around people. Uh, whether they're on day one or day one million, I, I mean, it's I I don't care. Um, you know, I I. 
I, I'm reluctant to like, sometimes I go to meetings and I don't even share how long I've been sober. I, I don't like people looking up to me. Like I'm like, I have elevation on them. Um, but regardless, that's just like some weird personal thing, but I, I love going to meetings. I just don't do it every day, you know? So my program is, uh, I, I, I create, dude, I am a creator in my nature. It's what I do. I make things, uh, you know, I make podcasts, videos, like I write, I do a lot of writing. Um, I'm working on a documentary that, uh, that'll probably start, uh, in a couple of months that I'm super excited about. And that's what I do, dude. Like I, I don't feel recovery needs to look any one way for anybody. Uh, I, I, I was, it's also important that people don't hear this and do as I do. You know, I, um, I've been at this for a long time. And so, you know, my, my recovery years one through five looks a lot different than, than years five through 10 and 10 through 15, you know? And, um, and now I know that if I'm not creating, if I'm not writing, if I'm not, uh, you know, allowing my, my gift to be shared, that's when I, I signal there's a problem. And so I just create, man, that's what I do. Yeah, yeah, I love that. I wasn't saying that like you should or need to be a, that. That's yeah. why I was curious because Cameron and I say the same thing. Like we have one meeting a week, no matter fucking what. Yeah, on yeah. Thursdays at four p.m. Pacific. He and I. That's and it. I was just telling my dad this. Like we don't really care if no one ever listens. That's right. We fucking love doing that's this it. and having this time. Yep. And talking to each other, you know. Um, and and that's a big part of our program. Like this, this will keep me clean today. That's it doing this yep. and staying busy, doing things you're passionate about and staying tied in recovery. You know, I, I just talked about, I work three guys that I work with are in recovery. So we talk about it all day, every day, like not all day, every day, but you know, something comes up and we talk about it like healed people talk yep. and we process it and we bounce shit off each other yep. and we tell each other when we're fucking having trouble, whatever we stay connected. Yeah, dude. You know, yeah. The connection. And w- with your pod, dude, it, it doesn't matter how many people listen, dude. If one person hears it tomorrow and it, it helps them get through the day, uh, then it's, it's worth it, man. Fucking and right. like every one person, every creation you put out into the world, dude, will serve at least one, even if it, it's just you, you know? And, and I'm a very mm-hmm. firm believer in that. So, um, you know, you guys just keep at it, dude, just keep going, keep pumping out content. Like if it's just, if you got one download a week, dude, it's worth it. You know what I'm saying? I appreciate that. Well, yeah. And you think of that in terms of saving one life, man. That's it. One life is worth a fucking lot. That's brother. it. That's it, man. All right. Well, then let's get to this, and then we'll wrap up with our final question. Um, what grinds your gears, bro? Give us a grind your gears. Yeah, I'll tell you. I'll tell you what grinds my <laughs> gears, dude. Um, All right. All right. Um, and I'll I'll, I'll tie it into recovery. Okay. Um, what grinds my gears is. Uh, rigidity i like i like nuance i like uh i like to be malleable i like to be open and so uh what really grinds my gears is this idea that uh the way something is or uh the nature of things is stuck i that just grinds my gears Mm. and um Mm. in recovery what it sounds like is you know what worked for me will work for you uh, or this doesn't work for anybody, or this will work for everybody. Those things feel very rigid to me. Uh, or like, 
we've always done it this way, so we're going to continue to do it this way. That rigidity, um, it doesn't work well with me. And that that is part of my ADHD, dude. Like, I, I am not rigid at all. I'm all, I'm all over the fucking place, you know? We're not rule followers yeah, either. Yeah, dude. Like, <laughs> and, uh, but really, like, uh, I feel like what lubes up my gears, if we could play the opposite, because I like staying in the positive. Ooh, uh, absolutely. What, what lubes them up, dude, is, is, uh, is the nuance, man, is openness and curiosity, dude. So whatever the opposite is of that, that grinds my gears, bros. I love it, dude. So, so we lubed you up when yeah, we didn't uh, ask our second question until 45 <laughs> minutes into the podcast. Be like, <laughs> yeah, the dude. famous words of Bruce Lee, dude, uh, be, be like water. That's the key. Be water, dude. That's exactly it. Yes, sir. Oh, my daughter that this morning. No, I, I totally I totally agree. I, I can't stand that people like follow the rules just because they're the rules. Like certainly there are some that are important, but just because someone said we should do it this way, if that's not the best way to do it, then we shouldn't do that. Amen. And Cameron and I are perfect fucking examples because Cameron didn't go to rehab at all. Outpatient. Right, and failed and yeah, yeah it took me four yeah. and a six month until i fucking got it yeah and but both of us Prime here clean. that's, that's it, it man dude. you know it. what i mean yeah that's it he dude. went to a scientology fucking program and he's yeah, man. three different yeah. three different ways same goal and here we are many paths one yeah. destination you know dude, what i'm we saying can end on that dude that's, that's a right. banger right there there. It is. <laughs> <laughs> well Tell us, oh, tell yeah. us, tell us how people can find you, bro. Cause, cause the stuff you're doing is really cool, dude. And I think the people need to know and we'll let you get out of here. Yeah. I appreciate it guys. So, uh, yeah, if you've hung around this long, uh, you can find me on Instagram. Uh, it's Jeremy J E R E M Y R R T. That's it. Um, that's how you find me. Our company is rehab road trips. Uh, so it's rehab road trips on all, all platforms and, um, and, uh, like I said, our goal is to make videos that help people find recovery. So, um, you know, I hope you guys check it out and uh, let me know what you think, man. We're always open to feedback and ideas and uh, and collaborating, you know. So, like, uh, I'm going to keep following what you guys are doing, too. And, you know, Henry, like, wh when it comes to the rules, uh, there are a lot of would-be rules with podcasts. And uh, they're all meant to be broken, dude. So, get weird, get unique, get creative. Like, uh, I think you guys have a lot of potential and... Um, I think uh, I think doing things a different way will serve you both very well, you know. And and I I, I wish that uh, every listener who's in recovery has a sober day tomorrow. And um, I'm just grateful for you guys and for for being on the show, dude. I'm I'm grateful and I, I feel charged up, dude. So thank you guys very much. Thank Thanks, you, dude. This has been awesome, man. Oh yeah. And I have to say, I'll I'll give you a little stroke real quick. I I was remembering I was inspired by you. Because we talk about seeing people from afar that, you know, it's it's funny these like friends you meet in rehab are kind of like when you go over to your parents' house and they're like, hey, they got kids. These are your friends now. <laughs> yeah, you yeah, know? yeah. And then you watch them from <laughs> afar on Facebook and they're doing their thing. Yeah. But I love to see people in their purpose and doing what they love. Mm. And right when I about when I got out of Elevate, you guys had the movie podcast. Oh, yeah, yeah. About movies. Yeah, yeah. Because you fucking love movies yeah. and you made a podcast. And I remember the feeling of like, oh, someone I know is doing that thing yeah. that I thought was like out here ethereal or whatever you want to call it. Yep. 
that real people don't do. But I know this guy. I've met him, and he's doing it, and that's pretty cool. And I feel like that planted a seed for me. Awesome. And then seeing you do the rehab road trip thing, like work, living in your purpose, like doing what you love, being passionate about something is, has really been inspirational to me. Awesome. So thank you for that, and thank you for being on here, man. Yeah, I appreciate you guys. Yeah, and if, if you're movie lovers out there, uh, it's called It Holds Up. Check it out on all your pod pod platforms if you guys like movies. All right, dude. Well, hey, we'll link all your uh, social stuff um, in, in the cool. show description, and hopefully maybe one day we'll get you back on and we can talk more about Thetan levels and Scientology. I'm, 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 yeah, I'm, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude. 100%. We'll need a I lot of time, more. bro. All right, dude. Hey, you've been fantastic. <laughs> and they, go, go get inside right and warm up, bro. Take care, Jeremy. Hey, thank you, guys. Dude, and hold on. Watching the sunset in California <laughs> is the gift you gave me. There you go, bro. Fucking magical, dude. Thank you. There you go, bro. When that pink cloud was behind oh, yeah, your head, dude. I was like, oh, this is fucking... We're talking recovery. Watching in Monterey, sunset. of all places. That's dude. it. This, this is incredible, dude. That's it, man. Life is good. Better than my wildest yeah. dreams right There it is, dude. That's it. And that's the end. All right, dude. Take care, Jeremy. Fuck yeah. Later, all right. Bro. Thanks, guys. Later, brother. Goddamn, son. That's the best guest I've ever. <laughs> we've, we've been, been replaced, replaced, dude. Forrest Brownell and Jeremy Miller, your two there new we hosts. Go, dude. There we go. <laughs> I do, were you sitting here like nobody's gonna want to listen to us anymore? They're gonna be like, "When's that fucking Jeremy?" Dude, dude, dude I was thinking back. the same thing. He got like twenty minutes in, and I was sitting here. I, I I literally text Henry. I was like, "Dude, this dude is straight flames, dude." Um, what a cool, what a cool yeah. guy, bro. I mean, he fucking killed it. And actually a lot of really good thought provoking yeah. stuff like that. I'm going to go marinate on. I love, um, before we get out of here, cause this one has run long. Um, I love the way that he tackles his recovery. It's kind of like a phone conversation you and I had on how it looked different in year one and year two. Right. And, and, and what it looks mm-hmm. like in year six is different and that's, and that's okay. Right. Like that's okay. So for, for people in recovery, if, if you can take anything from that, just know that, Hey, you may be going to meetings like five days a week right now because that's, what's getting you there, but it may not always be like that. And that's all right. You know what I mean? Be, be water. Yeah. <laughs> Stick with what works for you, man. And, and that does look different for everybody. And you know, we've had people say this yeah. is their meeting, you know, listening to our, our podcasts and, and that's like the highest compliment that we can get. We, we fucking, we love that. I, I, I don't want that to sound like a humble brag, but I mean, people have said that. And if that's what works for you, man, if you can't get there for whatever reason, you don't have a vehicle, you're remote, whatever, or you don't like them, you're uncomfortable, anxiety, whatever the fuck it is. If this is what you do, do this. If you know, whatever you do, just keep doing it as long as you, it, it keeps you exactly. Clean, and we'll always be here for you. Head and I are never going anywhere. Um, we'll be here and, and, uh, that's a fact, brother. That's a fact. So I'm going to give the condensed speech because I'm starving. Uh, this is the longest one to date, 142. <laughs> Look at that. Look at that sure. long one. But, dude, it could have gone sure. longer, but I felt bad for him because he's out there fucking freezing his oh. dick off. Um, okay, man. So <laughs> You were hungry. He would have kept well, going. Well, dude, I, I, we got we to gotta be mindful of our guests, right? He was outside. He was no, outside. I know. Uh, oh, yeah. Um, so give us a follow on Spotify, uh, Apple, Samsung, Amazon Music, YouTube, TikTok and Instagram, all as Rude Dude Pod. Um, a like and a share would be really great. Um, go follow our our buddy Jeremy, who you just listened to on um, rehab yeah, road trips. Out, uh, really cool stuff. 
what he's doing is really awesome. And if you are lacking any motivation, just re-listen to this episode and listen to that man's vigor. Go and do us a favor by um, by going and following him and supporting whatever everything that he's doing. Uh, we have a support this podcast link in the bottom of the show description. Uh, you could support this podcast for as little as 99 cents. Any donation goes a long ways to help us uh, keep growing. Help, help us. Poor. We're poor. Um, you know, it, I'll, I'll never stop saying that because, hey, you, I know you guys could help. Um, that is really all I got this week. Um, I will finish it like I always do. I love you, Hen, very much, brother. I love you too, Cam. I'm I'm floating oh, right yeah, now, dude. man. That was a good That's one. That's the best one yet, dude. And remember, 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 <laughs> kids, did a crackhead ever wake up and say, I don't think I'll smoke crack today? Hell the fuck no. They figured out a way to get it done. And that's what you're going to do for yourself and your recovery. Hey, hey, and be yourself and fuck what they and think. And what a way to finish it. Now here comes the shrimp to, to, to send us off. Ready? Send us off, trip, man. Later, dude. <laughs> 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 One of them see you with the music and hearing. Oh, I'm gonna fuck me, then boy.